Arthur's Table on Food FM with your host, Arthur Potts Dawson. Hi there, welcome to Food FM. My name is Arthur Potts Dawson, and today I'm really excited to be interviewing Sarah and Michael, who created Citizens of Soil. We're going to be talking about their story, talking about olive oil, talking about soil, and, and, and all of the amazing cultural connections that these two things bring. Um, Sarah and Michael, welcome to Food FM. Thank you so much for being here and talking to us. Thank oh, you, thank Arthur. Thank you for having us. Uh, Sarah, to be perhaps here. you'd like to, uh, Michael, perhaps you could introduce yourselves, tell us a little yeah. bit about what you do, what your day jobs are, or if something <laughs> soil is your day job. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, ladies first. Yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, so I, um, Citizens of Soil, Citizens of Soils, unfortunately, not our full-time um, day job just yet because um, these are very early days. We're looking at really just over a month in the business. Um, and both of us are quite passionate about our actual day jobs as well. Um, so I work for a company called provenance.org. Um, we are a um, tech company that powers transparency for honest brands that are wanting to be open about their impact. So naturally, um, this covers a, the sustainability space, which is really a passion that I've used to kind of fuel um, the purpose side of the olive oil business. Yeah, and uh, so I'm the co-founder of Maverick Drinks, which is a distributor of craft spirits in the UK. Uh, we work with great spirits from all across the US, Europe, uh, and further afield. And it's kind of our, our passion has always been craft artisanal products. Uh, and learning everything about from the right through from the production to creating really interesting and distinct uh, spirits that maybe challenge the way people think about those categories. And I think that's informed a lot of the way we've thought about this brand. And certainly Sarah's background in sustainability and transparency. You, you kind of get these uh, craft brands mixed with sustainability and transparency converging on what is our first product from Citizens Soil, an extra virgin olive oil. Right, so tell us a little bit then about Citizens of Soil because the name is just fantastic. You know, yes, I'm a citizen and, and I believe in soil, but but does everybody, and you know, how did you come across the name and, and what's the early story? Well, um, Arthur, you, you, you've nailed it with talking about how you, you see yourself as a citizen and, yeah. and that really is the genesis of the, of the brand, you know. Yeah, I mean, like uh, soil itself really came from, um, I think when we were, kind of really getting into the olive oil and we kept being like, it has such a specific taste. This olive oil tastes different and we're learning different olive oils and they all had interesting flavors. And we were saying this, it really comes down to terroir. And both of us, you know, I, I used to work in the drink space. We, I used to also work in hospitality. So we kind of came from this world of, of uh, food and drink and especially in the alcohol space, really having a passion for terroir and knowing how that influences the way something tastes. So we started off with this word, but then we thought, ah, it can be quite pretentious, <laughs> we know, um, and it, it can, it doesn't necessarily resonate with everyone. Um, but something like soil, which is essentially kind of pulling in those same characteristics, is just a much more, I guess, inclusive sort of word. And it really harks to so much more, again, getting to that sustainability and purpose side. Um, and it really felt like a foundation. So that we started with the word soil and went on this whole campaign about you know, how to make soil oil. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we trademarked soil, olive oil, and then we were, but still was lacking something. And, and one of the things I, I've always thought about with Maverick Drinks is we, we created a community of Mavericks. Everybody who was we were selling to or our brands we worked with, or even people on our team, we all called them, you know, Mavericks. And 
I, I want to bring that same kind of sense of community, but, you know, really give people a sense of ownership here. And when you think about the things that tie you uh, as an individual, you know, the, the strongest bonds that you have, you think of family, maybe religion, and certainly country or citizenship. And that last one really resonates with both of us. Uh, I, I happen to be both an American, uh, Canadian, and a British citizen. Sarah, she lived in Spain for two years. And when we go to Greek, uh, when we go to Greece, you know, we feel like Greek citizens. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we had we even talked about the state of soil and being the physical state versus the, you know, the state being a country. And we just couldn't quite get there. And then the moment we said citizens of soil, it just it just we hit it. We knew it right away. That was that was going to be the brand. Yeah, that's a brilliant name. It's a brilliant, brilliant name. Um, and so, so Citizens of Soil is born, and Sarah, you say that it's only one month old. Uh, it feels older only because the, 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 it sounds like oh, I should have heard of it before or might have heard of it before, but, but I hadn't it, until recently. It feels older to us as well. Yeah. <laughs> it feels yeah. it's been in our hearts. Yeah. And I mean, we were recently looking about when we, I think, got the trademark or bought the URL because we keep saying, oh, this is our lockdown project. This is what we've been doing with our lockdown time. Um, we certainly have. That's all of our time and energy has gone into this. but. Um, actually, I mean, even so far as just even the name we had back, uh, I think it was like 2019, uh, at the end of 2019. So it had been something that had been, you know, kind of stirring and of course, um, yeah, working on with the family for a while and talking about how to best deliver this. And so, um, that's, it, it, if it feels like longer, it's because a lot of heart has been put into it up to this point. Well, let's stick with the name because I think Citizens of Soil um, really resonates with the fact that you know everybody is obviously connected to the planet through soil Absolutely. because soil is where their food grows. So let's understand soil from from your perspective and how you see it because soil is um, it, it's intrinsic to our lives and without it we would not be here. Um, so tell me a little bit about your standing of soil and, and um, you know just how it allows us. To live so well on this planet yeah so um i think obviously i said it started with terroir and then we started talking about soil and from my role at provenance um you know we work with a lot of companies that are doing biodiversity projects they're doing carbon projects they're doing water projects and and i kept seeing this common theme of like you know the quality of the soil especially in the agricultural space that being the root of a lot of problems you can fix a lot of issues with um, you know, uh, floods with, with water retention, with, um, you know, carbon capture, uh, with nutrition. There were so many things that seemed like they could be fixed by just having good soil. Healthy soil. Yeah, having healthy soil. And I, we knew nothing about it. I, we don't come from science backgrounds. We're just, you know, a flavor enthusiast, I suppose, um, who cared about how that related to the flavor. But um, because of, yeah, what I do during my day job, I started watching, you know, TED Talks and, and, and reading more reports on, on soil and, and finding out things like, you know, the amount of soil that's lost, you know, every, every minute. And, and soil isn't something that is a renewable resource. You know, how long it takes to create that fertile soil. And we're not talking the dirt on top. We're talking the actual soil layer and how we are just degrading it at a layer that we aren't able to recoup. You know, we're not able to build it back in time. Um, and so... Even going to Greece, and just like you were mentioning earlier about the, you know, being in parts of Africa where you can just tell the soil is completely destroyed, these things are happening here in the Mediterranean as well. They're happening in this beautiful island of Crete where we get our olive oil. You can drive through certain parts where they've just completely destroyed the soil from so much bad agricultural practices. 
and the risk that we could lose some of our favorite foods and drinks, you know, our wine, our olive oil, and these really healthy ancient crops. It's quite scary, in fact. Like, what can we do to preserve this so it's here for us and the next generation? It's interesting, Michael, isn't it, that soil, in a way, culturally connects you, uh, physically connects you to the environment that you're living in. Uh, and without soil, you can't live there. So, you know, it's, you know you, Sarah, you talk about soil being, you know, um, not well managed, just in, in Crete. Uh, and in Greece, which has obviously got the history of millennia behind it, of, of deliciousness, of, of healthiness. Um, but if, if the land is degraded, Michael, in Crete, and people can't live on it, then culturally, religiously, socially, it, it falls apart, doesn't it? Uh, it? It really is, you know, alongside maybe water as a resource, the foundation of civilization. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I'm speaking in huge, broad terms because it, it, but they're, but they're true. I mean, it really yeah. is yeah. Um, at the core of you, you look at social mobility and how m migration patterns over over hundreds or thousands of years, and it was all led by resources primarily that y y you might say where you know as, as climate has changed, where 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 people have had to move. Like having good soil <laughs> is to reverse climate change, you know, and I think. It's just when we started looking into it, we just did not realize how much we took it for granted and how for, for us, soil was no more than something we're using to plant some things in, in, in the back garden. You know, it, we didn't see it as that that fundamental building block for, as you say, a, a millennia. It, it's it yeah, blew us both away. And well, there's a value, isn't there, in, in healthy soil and, and, and a healthy environment that, that, that grows plants um, and then is respected, you know, less chemical use. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the arguments of organic versus non-organic or flavors or better for you or not. That's for another uh, discussion. But, you know, soil is a type of gold. And, you know, how plants grow in soil and the relationship between soil, the microbiome and the body is just so amazing. But, but you found a product that you love and when you're behind that product, you've built a brand, um, but it's not just going to be oil, is it? Olive oil. You, it, it sounds like Citizens of Soil is going to have more than one, but this is just the beginning. Well, we, we've, we've drawn on a lot of wine cues because terroir as a concept is most often used to describe wines and, and how climate and soil and everything affects the, the flavors that you find in the wines. Uh, and we wanted to convey that olive oil has every much the same level of terroir as things like wine. But also we borrowed a couple other phrases to, to give people, just, just to give people a mindset as to what this type of product represents. So we, we talk about not uh, organic or non-organic, but we do talk about minimal intervention. Yeah. And this is uh, where Jim or D D uh, Dimitris is doing as little as he can to encourage good harvest year on year with that soil. Hmm. Would never say that, they, that they're not using any fertilizer, but, they, but they're using the absolute bare minimum because he he believes that the, the, the land and the trees and the olives themselves have a soul. I mean, if you talk to him, he, he, he's almost poetic in the way they describe the, the, the land that they're taking care of. And for them, it would just go, it would be at odds to use anything that wasn't as natural as it could be or as non-chemical as possible. Yeah.
Um, but it, it's and they're really... getting better about it. And I think Sarah can probably speak to it a little, a little bit more, but they are, they are trying to constantly improve those practices as well. And, and that's part of the reason why we're thrilled to be able to be paying them more than they would get otherwise. Well, there's just the, the, the holistic practice, isn't it? It makes everything more resilient in as much that, it, you know, if, if you're planting a, a crop in one field, you should probably plant a separate crop in another so that you've got the relationship between the two, you know, the different types of insects, animals. Um, you know, how then, so, so we know that there's soil, we know there's good soil and the importance of it, and we've got olive trees growing in it. So now we've got olives. And you found this amazing <laughs> oil that's made by olives in Greece, um, and you're shipping it from there to the United Kingdom and hopefully beyond. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what is it, what is it you do, the quality, how the flavor comes across, what it does on the palate. Uh, so you've got olive oil, but tell us that story. Yeah, so, I mean, I think uh, to Michael's point, we really, these trees, there's something different about olive trees compared to other crops because these are staying in the ground. It's not something that you're like ripping out by the root and putting something new in the following year. These trees are there for beyond these people's lifetime. You know, some of these trees are being passed down. Um, they can be there. You know, there's trees in Crete that are thousands of years old, which is absolutely crazy and certainly loads that are hundreds. Um, so you're wanting to really protect the trees and do everything to maintain really the integrity um, of the tree, like the soul of the tree, but also the, the overall health, because the, the better you treat it, the longer it's gonna last for you and, and um, you know, produce. And that's really the, this family's approach. Um, so I think they are doing as much minimal intervention as possible. Like I was saying earlier, they're also in this patchwork of the hillside um, in a village outside of Heraklion in Crete, um, which means that there is beautiful you know, wine vines going around. There's when you walk through the um, through the orchards um, in the summertime. There's beautiful wild herbs that have come up. You know, actually, the family just sent us a picture back in December. They were all out around Christmas harvesting. Um, they grow a lot of like rosemary and wild capers, and they were harvesting the wild herbs that grow on the orchards. And yeah, I, we actually just posted a picture on our Instagram last week, which is the grandfather. I couldn't believe they just captured this on their mobile and sent it to us. And it was the grandfather picking and our friend Maria, you know, she's in the back, there's the daughter and our godson, which is Maria's son um, in the back. So three generations on the side of their orchards, harvesting wild herbs. And this is this is the environment that because they're really live off the land. I mean, not exclusively, of course, they're in Heraklion and they're they, they're really close to the city. Um, but they do try as much as possible to, you know, they produce their own honey, their own wine, their own local spirit, you know, their fruit when we're there. They kind of will pull over the car and you know grab some stuff from their tree and we'll have pomegranates for dinner and this is yeah. just the whole approach a very strong connection to the land and and yeah it's such a blessed oh my gosh mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful lifestyle and we think our oil actually reflects that because it is surrounded by all these incredible ingredients and it is surrounded by this like care and that same care is what they're putting in to the olive oil so when it's being harvested um you know, we're not using heavy duty machinery that you see in some parts of the world. We it's harvested by hand and by electric rake. Um, so we're in the trees. You know, Michael and I did that this year. We did our first harvest with the family. And, wow. you know, we're, yeah, it was so right. much fun. Oh, it, it was, was a, yeah. one experience. And so, yeah, you, we're really a part of it. <laughs> are you ever tempted to try and because you think, oh, olives growing on the tree and you grab one and you stick it in your oh. mouth? <laughs> and, and they uh, are incredibly tried. bitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. not bitter, in... And the, and the grove where, where we did the harvesting ourselves, uh, with obviously some locals as well, 
Uh, it's bordered on one side is Sarasset by Vineyards, and I think on the other side was it Apricot. It's an Apricot Grove. Mm, okay. Yeah. So and then and then as Sarah said, you've got just wild herbs basically everywhere. <laughs> uh, so there's it's, it's biodiverse, isn't it? It's got its own microclimate. It's completely biodiverse. I mean, all of the soils will then be related to each other. You'll have the microbiomes working in the soil. So it's it's a very healthy environment, isn't it? Yeah, and and part of that part of the reason why it is so so diverse is because. <laughs> It is small, small parcels of land that have been passed down from different families and people make different decisions at different times of their, you know, over, over generations. So, you know, they don't own the patch right next door or on the other side, but they might own six other patches. And so you get this, the best word that Sarah used to describe it, this, this patchwork of different producers all working alongside each other, all creating different things and all feeding into that biodiversity. And then there's that early relationship, isn't there, where let's say someone's growing apricots, someone's picking rosemary, you're making olive oil, someone's making wine. And then at the harvest, you have some that you then give to the apricot grower and the, and the, and the vineyard, and then they give you in return. And then, then you'll find that you'll always have something on your table because of the relationship that you have both with the soil, but also with that patchwork of people around you. I mean, it's, it's such an ancient, you know, social connector, isn't it? It, it definitely is. And for them, uh, there is a real community aspect to it as well. You know, they um, they take what they need. They they trade a bit of olive oil for uh, a, a bit of wine. Uh, they trade a bit of wine for a bit of honey. You know, everybody is, is working together to um, create these household staples. So all, all of the things that they get are, if it's not from their family, well, then it's from their the family next door or and so her whole the whole pantry is basically filled with um things that are from other producers or or their own family but there's something interesting in that isn't it because that basically this patchwork creates smallholder farms doesn't it there's not some sort of huge big one you know island of olive oil you've got a lot of small-scale farmers um not making very much money and some of them have already got day jobs and then they're climbing into their trees on the weekends to keep them healthy do you want to talk a little bit about smallholder farming and, and how you're supporting that and how to make it more of a sort of um, a sort of healthy financial situation for these people? So we've worked with the, this family because, as we said, you know they, they've been making this olive oil for a long time, and every year they would take what they need for their family, which is often you know some hundreds of liters for the year, which is what they would say for their household, and then they take the rest to a, a, a pretty anonymous middleman, uh, a, a somebody who buys the oils from genuinely hundreds of families, small producers, blends them all together. So immediately you've lost any sense of identity or character or personality to, to this oil. And then that oil itself being traded as a commodity is sold to the highest bidder. And often that is other countries and it gets blended in with their oils so now you've lost any sense of even a, a homogenous greek oil is now even more anonymous and it's crazy to me to think that, that this beautiful thing loses all of its identity by being blended and handled by people who really th see it as nothing more than just another oil and so we, we we looked at the market rates we asked them what they were being paid and we are paying them almost double what they would get from those middlemen to do it directly with us. And in doing so, we hope that we can empower them to reinvest in their land, 
to spend more time on it. Uh, and the the impact, I, I can't even tell you, the impact on how they think of this product has changed. Seeing their name on a bottle and seeing it presented in the way we brought it to life. Uh, Maria, she's messaging us uh, every few days with, with a, a recipe or a photo or uh, to tell us the daily report of how Jim was tending to the land that day, where they, even they probably took it for granted. They, they took their olive they needed, they sold the rest. And now they are, there's so much more enthusiasm. It's, it's palpable enthusiasm for, uh, for this product that is, has always been a big part of their lives. So you're offering not just the you know the, the the two olive oil producers, but 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 you're empowering them inside the community for them to say, hey, look, we're small scale farmers, we're smallholder farmers. Um, what about the apricot growers? What about the wine that we've got here? Try the honey, and suddenly you get this sort of empowerment of this uh, smallholder farmer environment. And and you talk a little bit about about breaking the chain of relationship that you know you sell the olive oil, you sell the apricots, you sell the wine to a large company that, that ends up selling wine cheaply across the world without any identity. But you're empowering people, aren't you? And in doing so, bringing to market a much more flavorful and exciting and, and, uh, and distinct product. There, there will be nothing that is out there that tastes just like this. And I think that there's something really special about that. Um, and to talk about the reasons why it tastes that way. You, you can't say that when you have hundreds or thousands of oils blended together. You, you can't talk about why it has a flavor or what went into making it or how one out of those hundred stored their olive oil. You know, y you have no control. It is just purely a anonymous and homogenous blended lifeless product to us. Well, you talk about lifeless, but you know, one of the things that's important to understand is when you're connecting uh, to your own health. Um, you know, you need your gut microbiome to be, you know, really active. You know, you can't have this sort of homogenized, sort of dead environment inside your body. It has to be healthy, it has to be, you know, sustainable, holistic, and it has to be, you know, resilient um, through the year. Um, talking about sustainability, talking about health of the planet, health of the body, you know, keeping these small scale farmers or smallholder farmers alive and vibrant brings life and vibrance to our own bodies, right? Definitely. And I think I think you have that really right when you were saying a bit earlier about like this is in, could be empowering, you know, the farmers to really the apricot farmer maybe wants to talk about uh, take more care into what he's doing. Um, or, you know, other people in the community can kind of be inspired by these actions. And that's something that we really we're really keen to do with simply by paying more for what we think the value is of their product, um, showing that hey, actually, if you're following some of these sustainable practices and, you know, trying to protect your harvest as much as possible, um, there, there's a value to that. And so even some of the things that we've learned along the way, you know, asking them, please don't, no more tilling. We're not, you know, don't till anymore um, around, let's do a ground cover around the trees, all these sorts of actions that to some people in the community would be like, well, no, that's not what you do. That's not the way we've done it for you in the past couple of decades. Mm. Um, it's like trying to show them that, well, if you do this, there's a reward and it's a cash reward. And we're able to, you know, if you, 
if or if not pursuing organic is is what you want to do with your brand, you know, there is a value to be had because that that's often passed on to the consumer. And if consumers want to pay more for that, then this is some action you can take on your farm. So encouraging people to kind of do good things and still a very commercial model, um, I think does benefit the land. There's a talk, sorry, Michael, there's talk of investing in the land, isn't there? And, and you've created this concept of 1% for the planet. Yes. Where, you know, you are asking people or, or you are also investing 1% of your uh, income or your profit to um, get farmers to invest in their own land. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So 1% for the planet. Again, I've known about this for a while because of um with the brands that I work with at Provenance. Mm. Um, and I always thought it was a really interesting model and it seemed so straightforward, you know, like we are giving 1% of our sales as a business back to the planet because we believe that the planet is a part of this just as much as, as anyone else in any other um, aspect of the supply chain. It is a, another party. It's an actor in our supply chain. And 1% is not nearly as much as the, the planet deserves, um, but it's a great starting place for businesses. So 1% for the planet was founded by um, the founder of Patagonia, which is a super inspirational um, fashion brand uh, that is absolutely leading the sustainability space. And so what was important for us is that it's a very clear message. Um, they, you open your books to them. So we've gone ahead and prepaid you know, to start the membership. Um, but once you're in, you pick the charities that you'd like to give to in the organizations. And so in our case, um, soil um, regeneration is kind of what we want to champion. And so we're able to give back one person of our sales to these charities in that space. And the one that we've kind of selected for this first year is Kiss the Ground, um, which is a great documentary if you if you haven't seen it. Um, and they even have it in Greek because we shared it with our Greek family. Yeah. Um, but they talk a lot about the soil health and and the the risk that we're at. But it's a really positive message of the things that we can do as well. And they have a great program. And so to us, learning from organizations like this and then feeding back to help empower them um, with their movement and then it comes back, it gives us more educational resources, it gives us more tools to actually uh, protect our land, and that's kind of the flow that we're working on. And what's so apparent about Citizens of Soil and, and both what you're both saying, Sarah and Michael, about connecting to the planet and health, you're really taking action inside Citizens of Soil, aren't you? I mean, you, your olive oil usually turns up in a, either small or medium-sized glass bottle, but you've looked at that and said, actually, we need to challenge this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how your products arrive? Go ahead, so this, this is your concept, so. <laughs> yeah, um, again, uh, I'm very lucky to get to work with incredible brands leading in the sustainability space all the time and, and, and pull inspiration from those that I think are doing it really well. Um, and packaging is, ugh, I mean, it's still a nightmare, but it's, it's a nightmare um, on our planet for sure. Um, and I think I started seeing brands, I mean, maybe even the pandemic has made a lot of us feel packaging more and the waste associated with it more than we ever did before because we're ordering so much from home and you know our i'm sure our recycling bins even those are completely filling up with all of the boxes coming through every day and um you know all, all of the the bottles and excess packaging so setting out to do this we were thinking how can we minimize that as much as possible obviously this is a food ingredient you know um it does have to have some sort of you know sterile and hygienic um, protection. But what can we do to minimize packaging? And we decided um, to 
uh, do refillable pouches. So we looked for pouches that I knew were being used with uh, TerraCycle. Um, TerraCycle allows, um, you know, like uh, there's the Ella's uh, kids food that you could, those pouches that seem quite wasteful, except for the fact that you can actually send them back through a TerraCycle scheme and they're recycled. And so we were looking for some sort of recycled packaging that would be a lighter impact. You know, you're not stacking up if you if you drink, um, you know, wine like we do, or consume olive oil like we do, you very quickly end up with all of these bottles um, every time you host a dinner party, or even just now on a on a weekend at home when you're cooking so many meals um, at home every week. Uh, and so we wanted something that was, um, we wanted to create a bottle that was refillable. That was really important. So it was like, how can we get a bottle that could be reused? So we designed a label that has kind of a top bit that could be peeled off. And what sits underneath it is quite a slick. So if oil drips on it, it's not ruining the label. It's super minimal. I mean, we took, you know, taking our logo and everything as much as we could off of that oh, and having wow. a bottle. Yeah. yeah, and having a bottle that um, people could keep adding oil to. Um, and the, the the cork itself, we, we got like uh, a cork that could be, um, it's not gonna break down. It's actually not a natural cork, but this is so it can be reused mm. and reused and reused. Um, and the opening at the top of the spout was something that, oh my gosh, we tried so many different ones because we were wanting it to be big enough that we could actually, you could pour oil in and refill. So then it came down to finding the right um, refillable pack, which right now we've started off with these 500 mil, but certainly there's as aspiration to get well, particularly with the hospitality trade, like a bag in a box solution that they can refill even easier. You know, what can we do to really cut down as much waste and impact even in the transport, which is a big, a big deal. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons we got our glass here from the UK in, and bottled here in the UK instead of bringing it over in the bottles from Greece. Like all of these things add just like a carbon count that can just, you know, go off the charts. I see. So, so, what, so a customer would buy a bottle of olive oil and after buying mm -hmm. that bottle and they're sort of three quarters of the way through it, they realize, oh, hang on a minute, I need more olive oil. So I'll actually buy a pouch yep. of olive oil, which is yep. lighter and takes less weight and, and to, to move around the world. And then that pouch can be recycled or you can send it back um, for, for reuse or how, how does it work? Exactly. You, we have made it so we have a free post address. So you can just drop the pouch as it is right back. You don't have to box it or anything. You just write free post, save our soil, drop it back in the in the post box and it'll come to us. And we have a TerraCycle box that we can fill and send a TerraCycle to recycle it on your behalf. Um, so, but even with the pouch, I mean, if you think of, we've really tried to streamline our, um, glass packaging so we're using flexi hex and it's all you know it's all paper we're not using bubble wrap or anything like that um but it's still you have to use some some quite a bit of paper to, to protect a bottle whenever you're sending it so something like a simple pouch i mean it goes through the post really easy and we don't have to worry about it being broken or extra padding required you know i had someone uh, say to me the other day that they'd been sent something in the post and as, as um protective packaging around the jar they used popcorn Oh, yes, um, I have seen this from a brand and I'm we you know, we have started to think about what I had all sorts of aspirations of sending in a pack of soil. Or not, yeah. soil. Yeah, 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 we've I've, I've had some interesting ideas. Mm. But again, when you're starting a business, you have to you're limited by um, MOQs, like by the actual quantity that you even have that um, you can buy some of this really interesting packaging. So you do have to get a bit creative. And I think the popcorn one is a nice, a nice alternative. It's just interesting, um, isn't it? Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, but, but the subscription side is um, 
also because this is a household staple. I mean, olive oil is something that people should be using. It's you know the healthiest oil you can cook with. People should be using it as a part of their diet. Um, and so knowing that we're now on subscription coffees and you know people are on subscription wine services. So why not add something that is a household staple onto a subscription so it's coming through. And of course you can still try other interesting oils and, and kind of experiment in the space, but you have this like consistent um, olive oil hitting your doorstep once or once a month or once every two months. Hmm. Oh, I see. Okay, so there's a subscription to that. That's really clever. So, okay, so um, so we've understood that the soil is important. It's imperative to the health of the planet and to our bodies. You found a delicious olive oil and you called yourself citizens of soil. But there's obviously a bigger picture, isn't there? There's something here that I can get a sense. There's this sort of undertow of it's not just oil. What else have you got coming and what are you planning? You know, we, we were around and around and around on what our kind of bigger vision would be. And, you know, we're, we're starting small, uh, only 1,410 bottles and about 600 pouches. So, it, you know, it really is a thousand liters in total. That's that was that year's harvest, 2020's harvest. But we have every dream for this to be a vehicle for replacing all of your household staples with at least your, your food staples with products that are more impactful and more flavorful and more sustainable and more fair. Um, so we, we, we've landed on that staples making a statement is really what we're all about. Ah. And olive oil happens to be the first product. Just from this family alone, we'd have access to honey and wine if we wanted it. And if it's not them, there are any number of small smallholder farmers who would be able to provide us with extraordinary other household staples. We've got a, we, we brought back some uh, organo from there, which is wonderful. What was those, those wild capers? Oh man, they were amazing. Uh, caper leaves, <laughs> that, caper leaves. Not so much a, a typical household staple in the UK, but <laughs> I think it Maybe is not. about, I do think, um, we've become quite passionate about olive oil and we were, I mean, we were already. So I think we definitely would like to bring other olive oils. You know, For this sure. being a chef, like there's, there's a variety, uh, there's so many different flavors you can get from an olive oil and ours has a very specific flavor. Um, people keep saying, oh my gosh, it has a flavor, which they're just not used to with their regular supermarket olive oils. Mm. But there's such a range. I mean, we could do a later harvest, which would have, you know, more of a uh, potentially like a floral sweet notes. We've gone at the first start with this early harvest, which is just green. I mean, the flavor is green. It has like punchier. an artichoke, avocado. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but we could even go punchier. You know, there's some interesting ones in Italy that have that really, really peppery, really, really bitter. Um, and so I think that range is what would be exciting to kind of offer people. So you're thinking mm -hmm. like a wine flight, having an olive oil flight, and that's kind of probably our next step. Yeah, really but, but we knew our first product had to knock it out of the park. And... We were we you know we we pushed for them to do the harvest a little bit earlier than they normally would, uh, and the result is you know you get extra virgin olive oil is is graded on it being below a certain level of oleic acid so level of acidity yeah and it must be below 0.8 percent acidity to be considered extra virgin olive oil uh, below 0.5 percent you would say that's a very good olive oil and below 0.3 percent now you're into your world class award-winning olive oils and you know wouldn't you know ours came in at 0.27 so oh, we've wow. just we've just squeezed into that upper echelon of yeah. olive oils and, and we were high-fiving we were all excited you know uh to 
to see that this is the lowest that they've ever produced there. But it also means that we're very high in polyphenols. So all the uh, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant properties of the, the Mediterranean diet and extra virgin olive in particular are known for. Above 250 milligrams per kilo, you can technically, by EU regulations, call it healthy extra virgin olive oil. Uh, we're not using that term and we haven't done, gone through the certification process for that, but we have the lab tests that say that 250 is the minimum and ours came in at 297. So we are high in polyphenols, we are low in acidity, and all of that creates what is a very distinct, and as Sarah said, green, artichoke-y, avocado-y, uh, just bright, flavorsome olive oil. So you've got amazing flavor, you've got amazing provenance, you've got a really strong purpose for being. You know, Citizens of Soil is a very, very strong purpose to it. Um, you, you sort of share a lot of your stories. I mean, you've got a brilliant blog, you've got a great Instagram feed, your social media is really strong. Uh, you know, this is a real brand of, um, you know, it's got a fabulous identity and is really sort of going to be moving with, um, let's say, I guess, the, you know, ahead of the curve. Because I think the real special nature to this is that whether it's olive oil or honey or caper leaves or um, wine, it's, it's how you connect to the planet and so how you ship it, how you, you know, how moving it around the world is, is you know, it's, it's a part of trade, isn't it? There's an, there's an important factor here that if you want to get olive oil to people's tables, you need to move it, right? But the fact that you can move it in a particular way is a very, um, you know, it's, it's an important step towards the future, which is we still need to move things around the planet, but we need to do it more delicately. It's almost like we spent a whole year thinking about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, in all that we appreciate the kind words, Arthur, and, and it really does mean a lot from you and your background. We, we don't know entirely where this is going to go, but we need to start off with, with at least in the right direction. And, and that is putting purpose and sustainability at our, as, as, as a given. I mean, they, they, they are our core principles. And to then have access to, uh, you know, we feel very fortunate to have access to such a wonderful product with people who are genuinely family um, in as much as they, they can be to be able to bring this to life. And drawing from Sarah's experience and my own, there was no way we weren't gonna do something that was that didn't have sustainability and that kind of brand story so tightly interwoven. Brilliant. So uh, tell us, Sarah Michael, how do people subscribe? Where do we go? Socialmedia.com? What do we, I mean, tell us how we find you and what we need to do next. Yeah, so we are at citizensofsoil.com. It's the same name on Instagram and Facebook. We're definitely an Instagram native brand. I We have more of our core messages, I think, up on those photos and more interesting photos there than we even do the website. Um, and that's really important to kind of, you know, the, the behavior of the sort of uh, shopper and our, our customer that we're going for. Um, so yeah, I think following us at Citizens of Soil on Instagram or citizensofsoil.com is where you can sign up and get your first bottle and then sign up for a subscription and have that come on whatever regular basis you'd like. Um, so you know, you're going to have like a nice, flavorful, sustainable, you know, year ahead of you. That sounds like you're on such a mission. It's so fantastic. It's so fantastic to have you on Food FM and to really hear... Um, you know what I think that what the future 
of purchasing food is because you know I appreciate we're in a, we're in a different world now. Certainly in Britain, you know, we are no longer a member of Europe, uh, which I think is a travesty. But anyway, and we're also facing this COVID nineteen. So so much of how we buy food is going to change. And, and do you think that the way that you're looking to to ship and move food around? Um, but certainly just olive oil, but, but more other items, is, is part of the future? Yeah, I mean, we can see the pandemic has pushed these behavioral trends that we all have now massively online. So having a brand, even though it's a food brand, starting off and really owning its like direct-to-consumer, you know, buy it through the shop, sign up for subscriptions, I think the pandemic has only benefited those sort of businesses. Um, and I think it has changed a lot of our habits in, in the long run. Um, and so, yeah, having a brand in this way, but also being able to connect, you know, kind of breaking down these established middle functions and supply chains and going straight to the source um, to better empower that first mile. Um, and, and the consumer, the, the us on the other side that are eating this food to have more of a connection with the world in general and the land itself. Um, I think, yeah, that trend doesn't feel like it's going away. You know, I know some of the big food trends for this year, Innova's food and drink trend, the top one was transparency and um, for 2021, uh, sorry, for 2021. So I think that is something we're looking forward to. We're basing our business off of, and we are really excited to see other brands that do the same thing. Like we are such consumers ourselves of, yeah. of these, you know, people making refillable hand soaps. We just bought some of that, you know, natural biodynamic wine producers, these sort of people we want to really, um, I guess, empower because we have this belief that every time you're purchasing something, you're casting a vote for the world that you want to see. And so investing in these small brands, like we're trying to do by, you know, buying from other small brands and buying local, this trend that people are doing, all of this is because we're trying to build, we're paying for that world and invest in the world that we want to see on the other side. Well, certainly there's a change going to come, right? And a change <laughs> has to come. And wherever yeah. we are in the world, we're we're all citizens of soil. Yeah. Uh, that, that is something that can genuinely bring us together. And we, we, we love hearing the stories about how people are enjoying this product as even in the small ways they've been able to come together and hopefully they can come together in person much more in the future so wow. sarah yes. and michael citizens of soil thank you so much for joining us on food fm my name is arthur potts dawson this has been another arthur's table um talking about the way we're buying olive oil now from smallholder farmers uh, thank you sarah and michael for joining us thank you so oh, much arthur. thank you it's a real, real pleasure speak to you again soon to find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.